Hello, and welcome to The Franchise Life. My name is Stacy Shannon, and today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Brianna Keefe, and she is the founder and CEO of Toastique. Welcome, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So I would be remiss if, before we dive into Toastique, if I don't mention and congratulate you on all the success that you've had to date with the brand and how you've grown the franchise system, but also notably being named by Forbes as a 30 under 30 participant or achiever, I would say. So how was that experience for you and how are you handling all the success at such a young age? Well, thank you for uh, first off. Um, it has been such a huge accomplishment um, and truly was, you know, we applied and I was excited for it, but I was like, you know what, this following year is probably going to be my year, but why not? I just had good feelings about it and, um, but really didn't think that I was going to make the list and sure enough, I did and they even chose me to be part of the article the same day that that was released. Um, so I had 30 under 30 listed, but then on top of that, um, an article just about the fast casual industry. So it was super, super exciting. And honestly, even like right now, it, it's truly hard to believe. Um, and it's done so much for the brand. You know, we were, we're growing pretty fast and, um, just having that accomplishment, I think, got some amazing, amazing um, content out and more people excited and hearing about Toastseek. And it's been awesome just to share my story with people and also hopefully inspire some younger women, um, you know, to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Take that risk and just go after it. So on that note, what inspired you to start the Toastique brand at such a young age? So by my calculation, you must have been around 23, 24 years of age, I believe. Yes. So um, first created the business legally when I was 23. And the day we opened the doors, I was 24. Um, and it's just, I've always been a go-getter. Um, I've always been in the restaurant industry, mainly front of house. Um, and I went to school for hospitality. And that's just something that I kind of thrived in. I love talking to people. I loved being on my feet. Um, never could just sit at a desk for a nine to five. Always had to be going, going, going. Um, and so I graduated, went into events and in DC and I loved it. And going, going, going for sure. Um, sometimes it really pushed me to my limits. We are doing these amazing events, one of a kind, amazing opportunities because there's an off-premise catering event. So we got to go to all the museums and host very high-end events, um, but it really burnt me out. And I knew how hard that I could work and I do work. And in my eyes, I felt like I had nothing to lose to start something on my own. Um, so that's what I did. I took the risk and the first store was really just creating myself a job, something that I wanted to go to every day, be excited about, be happy to be there. Um, and that was, that was the vision. And as soon as we opened from day one, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you need to come here. You need to come here. I want to open one. 
Um, so that's when I was like, oh, okay. Like, we're on to something here with this toasty thing. Um, and so that's kind of how we led into our growth strategy by uh, franchising outside the D.C. area. But then also um, we still plan on opening a store here, a corporate store, once a year. So I love when you said that you felt you had nothing to lose, so you took that risk. I think that is so critically important because so many people, that's exactly what holds them back is they feel they have so much to lose by taking a risk on themselves. So kudos to you. That is fantastic. So what is Toastique? Yeah, so Toastique is a gourmet toast and juice bar. That's our tagline, and our focus is on the gourmet toast aspect of uh, aspect of it. And um, that's really where I wanted the focus to be because there are so many juice bars and smoothie spots and places, and even sit down brunch spots that might only have toast as like a side option. Where I love toast, I love bread. Um, and I love making beautiful things. So I wanted to put the focus on toast and have it be big enough that it's a full meal, that the main center of the menu and that it fills you up like a sandwich, but it doesn't overstuff you. So um, we have a whole variety of toasts that we make all in-house. Um, all of our ingredients are made in-house. The things that are not are so sourced locally, like our bread. Our produce, our granola, our coffee, everything like that. Um, we really want to have the freshness of everything that we make. Um, so that's why we do make everything in-house. We also juice everything in-house. And then we also don't add any sugar sweeteners into any of our juices, bowls, anything like that. Our menu is very much what you see is what you get. And I think that's the transparency of Toastique as well, because there's a lot of smoothie places that add so much like syrups or sugars, and it's not even listed on the menu. And um, that's what I wanted to focus on as well, is just the freshness, the transparency. There's no hidden anything. And even on our toast ingredients as well, we're making it house. So there's no hidden oils or preservatives or anything like that. And that is so important in today's world where there is just a hyper focus on health and wellness, I believe. So let's take a step back real quick. So you started the brand in 2018 with opening up a single location, but you took the plunge into franchising in 2020, the year that COVID, a major pandemic happened to hit us. What was that like for you as a new business owner? Yes. So in the beginning, it was very scary. There were so many unknowns. Everyone was closing. Sports were being stopped. It was the craziest feeling, which I feel like everyone felt. Um, our sales were down 70% in March of 2020, right when it first kind of hit everything. And it was so scary. You know, we are like, are we going to make it? Like, what's next? Um, and we never closed a single day. Actually, at the time, we only had two locations. One, our first location, our location in Old Town, Alexandria. Um, so I was working at the one in D.C., open to close. I would have one person come in just to help me with juice and prep and really had to cut down our labor, but we decided we're not going to close. We have to keep people employed. We need, they need to feed their families. 
So we didn't lay anyone off. It was just cut their hours extreme, extremely and um, just kind of work through it. We did online ordering and third parties, things that we haven't done before the pandemic. Um, and that's when we realized that we were really onto something because we aren't a full-blown restaurant. We don't have extreme cooking equipment. So all that extra labor that other restaurants need just to function, to have someone on dish, on prep, on the grill, stove, all of that, it was manageable to run with one or two people. And we were like, okay, after the pandemic, we're like, if we can get through this, like, because it's kind of like pandemic proof. Um, and we knew health, uh, healthy, fast, casual is where the trends were going. We've even seen that during the pandemic, people are adding extra ginger shots to their smoothies and things like that. And we actually, during the pandemic in 2020, we uh, created a line of wellness shots, which is just concentrated superfoods with fresh ginger, turmeric, apple cider vinegar, blue spirulina, um, because we saw that demand and that's what people wanted. So between the mix of that, um, we were still very confident in Tosik and very confident in the market and knew that we were going to get through the pandemic. And we figured now more than ever, that's the type of people, or that's the type of business that people want to invest in. Um, something that is pandemic proof and healthy. And um, so, yeah, we took, we took full advantage of that and just kept moving forward while some people were slowing down or even stopping. How did you come to the realization that franchising could be a path for your business model versus continuing to open up more corporate stores? Yes, that's a great question um, that I feel like I get questioned a lot because franchising the word, I think people think of McDonald's, Subway, um, businesses that maybe are very black and white, set in stone, these are the ways, unhealthy. Um, but we're, I didn't see it like that. I see it as people with their own time and money and reputation involved. And the people we're choosing to partner with are people that are passionate about to seek, that understand our vision and our mission and want to be a part of that. Um, that's something that's very important to me is people that I can get along with that want to live the Toastique lifestyle. And I believe that they're going to care more than a manager, no matter how much we pay them, no matter how much, how well we treat them. They're a manager's never just going to care as much as someone that has their own time and money invested into it. Um, and as you can see at Toastique, everything is very detailed from our build out to our presentation of the food, the taste of the food, since we're making almost everything in house, there's just so much detail that goes into it. Um, so I believe, and so far it's been true that people that do have their time and money invested in that love the brand, that love the food, that love the vision, um, will care as much as I do. So that's really interesting to me. And again, I applaud you because, uh, you know, many times when somebody brings a new brand to market, they want to attract as many people as they can. But what I hear you saying is you've been very purposeful in that respect where uh, you built this franchise model 
and brought it to market as an owner-operator model. So initially, as I understand, you did not allow for semi-passive ownership. Um, but now I think you, you know, given you have some traction, uh, I know you, I believe you have five corporate stores, mm -hmm. or I should say units today. And then how many franchises have you sold to date? Um, so we have, yes, five corporate stores in the DC area. Um, we have seven franchises that are open. We have two more opening this month. Um, and then we've sold 62, I believe, that are in the works. That is so, incredible. That is, yes. that is just incredible. So, uh, but now you are allowing for semi-passive ownership, but what, uh, what attributes, if somebody does want, is interested in Tostique and wants to be a semi-passive owner, what type of attributes are you looking for from that investor and you know what does that involvement look like yeah so it's in the initial kind of startup we want the same type of people people that are passionate about to seek that don't see this as just um like a regular investment they're gonna throw money into they want to we want them to see our vision and roll their sleeves and get their hands dirty ab absorb themselves in the entirety of the brand daily operations, just fully understanding it. Um, but then we realized that, you know, people that have restaurant industry background and also a good, um, good experience with building a team, I think that's the most important thing. Um, because we realized that there is so much detail and the service that we, you know, take pride in from knowing customers' names and remembering their orders and just going above and beyond in the customer service um, aspect of the business as well is so important. So having someone that still sees that passion that can build the team, if it's not themselves, that they hire someone that can be the face of the store, that can look at the numbers, that um, and just work all together. Um, that's the biggest thing because still the semi-absentee owner, it's not someone, oh, this is a great product. I'm just going to keep building all of these. And they don't have that personal relationship with their team or they're just letting anyone run it. Um, I feel like I sound like a broken record, but we want that personal expectation for, for everyone across the brand being consistent no matter what store they go into. Um, that customer is going to feel special, whether they're in D.C. or California or Florida, anywhere they go, we want them to receive that same experience. Yeah, and I think this conversation is very important as far as ownership and, you know, what you are looking for in a Toastique investor, because I think there's sometimes an assumption that, you know, if an individual wants to invest in a franchise, that they just can and, and that's not the case, uh, you know, especially good franchise brands, they identify who their ideal candidate looks like, what their attributes are that they're looking for, and what type of owner they want to partner with. So at the end of the day, this is a mutual agreement that you're entering into, and it's a long-term relationship. So 
I, you know, I keep hearing through and through from you how important choosing the right individuals are. And it really is an award process, wouldn't you say? It is. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Toastseek is such a special brand. But, you know, if you have one bad operator, two bad operators, it could bring the whole brand down. Um, Just as great as it going and snowballing upward, it can also do the opposite. And that's my biggest thing. My main priority with franchising is protecting the brand. And it's exciting going into new markets and we're meeting so many amazing people. And we just want to continue to grow that way where we can all gain in everyone's successes and make it one big family, learn from other people's mistakes. But, um, you know, we've been approached with people with a lot of money and, oh, I want to open a hundred of these in a couple of years. And we're just like, that's not the way we want to grow. That's how other franchises grow and other businesses. But we know we'll lose that specialness that Tosi has if we go that route. So I'm curious, Bree, how have you, you have a hospitality background uh, when reading up on you, you you came from hotel industry, hospitality, you have a hospitality degree, so a lot of great experience there. Um, how have you made the transition into the business aspect of this brand? I mean, you know, you're a curator, you've designed these beautiful products. When somebody looks at your branding, at the marketing. I mean, it just draws you in. You've done a fantastic job. So how, how has the transition into the business side and learning about the franchise world been for you? Um, it's definitely been different. Um, cause it's all new, new to me. Um, so our franchise attorneys and we're partnering with a franchise consulting firm, to really guide us in in certain situations and things like that. But we also, on the corporate side, we have a very diverse and strong team. Um, myself, my my brother, actually, he came full-time to see. He's our director of operations. Um, my partner, Kyle, he's, he's the more numbers guy, um, construction guy. So we all really blend together really well. Um, and we all, we all just work together, hear each other out, hear what our attorneys say, our consulting firm says, trying to figure out the best um, direction that we should go and problem, problem solving. But um, all of us are very just figured out. That's actually kind of what we say in our office too. We're like, figure it out, run with it, and learn from it if it doesn't work. Well, good for you. I know surrounding yourself with the right people, I mean, just further elevates you. So let's talk financials a little bit. And um, anybody that is has explored franchising um, knows that there's regulations on what you can talk about, what you can't talk about. So within your franchise disclosure document, which is the document where financials can be outlined, um, in 2021, which we're in the midst of the global pandemic, you saw an average gross sales of eight around $850,000 for a corporate location and an average net profit of around $173,000. So that equates to approximately a 20% profit margin 
in the food and beverage industry, which is really unheard of. How, I mean, was this something that you were experiencing from the onset, opening up a corporate location, or were, is this the result of lessons learned through those initial corporate locations where you were able to streamline operations and so forth? Um, it honestly, our, our year one with our one store, um, was <laughs> way better than that. It's pretty crazy. And I think really what it comes down to are two things is the concept that Toasty gives where we have the toast aspect of it versus another juice bar, which makes our numbers much more impressive than your typical juice bar. Um, so we're still giving our customers the same service as a full restaurant minus where it's still counter service. Um, but people can come and brunch and have office meetings and, you know, just gather with friends and family without the overhead of full blown restaurants and, um, you know, still receiving that same, um, just experience where juice bars typically quick serve, grab and go, no one's hanging out for too long. Um, and also because we don't have that overhead and our model is so efficient and our footprint is small, um, you can really scale down your labor to match the volume. And that's really how we got through the pandemic. Um, in the FDB too, you'll see that we are just as profitable as we were in 2020 as we were in 2021. Um, and that's because we were able to just stay on top of the numbers and only schedule that made sense. Um, and that's, that's a true key feature there, um, is just staying on top of it because it is so efficient and small, um, that we can, we can scale it down to, um, slow labor like the pandemic, but then also in the summer when the weekend, when we're quadrupling the amount of sales, we can also have that much labor on where it still makes sense. What are the hours of a Toastique location? Um, so they're either seven to five or seven to seven. Um, our ideal hours are seven to seven. Um, always seven a.m. because we're a breakfast shop, you know, and people are up early. They're on the go. They want their coffee. They want their juice smoothies, toast, whatever. Um, but then it kind of fluctuates where you are um, at the location that you're in. Whether five or seven makes sense. Um, we prefer seven because. What we see is people getting off work, people getting home after the gym. They're coming for their, you know, whatever it might be, a snack, a protein shake, or it might be a light dinner, where between five and seven, we're seeing that pop. We actually have a store opening that wants to stay open until 9 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays because they're in a development where it's very lively, very active. Um, so we're, we're flexible with the times that make sense for the area, but it's typically always never, never later than 7 a.m. And out of the 60 plus locations that you've awarded to date, how, what is the breakdown of single unit investments versus multi-unit owners? Um, I don't know the exact off the top of my head, but the majority of them are multi-unit unit owners. Um, the people that have signed on single also want to eventually open more, but they're kind of taking the safer route, really getting that learning curve out of the way, and then 
um, ideally opening three more. Um, we understand we are looking for owner operators. I know we touched on that, but I also realized no one is creating themselves a job like I did. You know, they see the vision, they want to open multiple. Um, so it also just depends on how big their team is, how many, you know, if they already hired a manager in place how fast or slow they want to go. And that's something that we are totally open to. We always tell them to, we will go at the pace that you want. This is a big investment. This is a new venture for everyone. So we're not going to force their hand and opening multiple. We actually prefer the opposite. Um, just taking your time. We open one a store and or one a year. And, you know, we're the experts. We're the ones that created it. Um, just with the staffing and really making sure everyone's trained up, we want to make sure that the franchise owners are also prepared and move on when they're ready. And um, there's no there's no rush or, you know, no pressure from us on the speed that they want to go. Well, it's good to hear. I, I mean, you appreciate it is a big decision between single unit ownership versus taking the plunge right off the bat for agree uh, to multi-unit ownership with a development schedule. Uh, what would you say a day in the life would look like as a multi-unit owner? So, I mean, you can speak from experience. You have five locations uh, around you that are corporate locations that you own. So what will ultimately a day in the life look like for semi-passive investors? Yeah, so I think in the beginning, too, a little bit like I mentioned, like I'd expect a month minimum, maybe a couple more to really get in there and really just fully understand the whole process because it's the restaurant industry. People call out, they won't show up, especially in the beginning. Once you start to create the culture and find your key players, everything gets easier, but the first couple months are always the hardest. Um, so just really getting in there, being fully absorbed in the brand, but also having your managing partner, your whatever you want to call them, is right alongside you. Um, and then we, even with owner-operators as well, we continue calls, bi-weekly calls, that will move to monthly calls after you open, so we can look at all the numbers, making sure the your numbers and your labor costs, food costs, your staffing looks okay, no one's getting overworked, um, your reviews, everything like that, we go over to make sure we're on the right path. Um, so that's something that the semi-absentee owner would also be deeply involved in and probably one of their, their biggest priorities, but also having weekly meetings with their team, um, just making sure everyone's staying on top of everything, all the standards are being held, uh, things like that. All right. So you touched on, we've mentioned a couple times, the investment. It's it's a big investment. Um, but I guess as far as food and beverage, brick and mortar investments go, it really is a modest investment from that standpoint. And I think that goes to the simplicity of the business model with no um, hoods and so forth and no real expensive equipment that's needed. So the total investment for a Toastique is between $347,000 and $568,000. And so um, when you look at, uh, you know, the first couple that have opened so far, I think you said you have a maybe 
six or seven that are open and two mm-hmm. more that are opening this month. Um, what are you seeing as the average? Um, it varies tremendously. Um, just all depending, construction is always a wild card, depending on the space you take over. So if it's a white box or a pre-existing second generation, um, retail, restaurant, whatever it was, is going to bring your costs down a lot more than a cold dark shell where you have to put in even one of our corporate stores didn't even have a front door. <laughs> we had to put in the front door and lay the concrete. So it really depends on the space. Um, and then also the square footage too. Some that we have opened to in Colorado have been over 2000 square feet. So they're a little more expensive. Um, or we have one opening in um, another one in Denver where they're like right at 1100 square feet. Um, and that's a second generation spot. So. Um, it really just depends on that. I think we are past kind of inflation is in inflation, but it's kind of like plateaued off. We don't see anything rising too much more, which is really great. In the past year, everything was just a little more expensive. The equipment doubled in price. The lead times were up to nine weeks to get a piece of equipment. So little things like that were pretty extreme this past year, but I think we kind of see it kind of relaxing a little bit. And Tostique has a team that helps with uh, identification of location, real estate, um, lease negotiation, and so forth, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. So we work with a national real estate team um, that helps nationally, but they also have boots on the ground in a couple of cities where they really help. So it's a combination of three of things that they find and um, take all their data there. It's called Sabre and they're like half tech, half broker, I always say, because they always pull this crazy data. Um, And they can pull the data from our DC stores and our open stores to find statistically like the demographic that's around each store. And then we also go with the franchise owners who know the community the best, their opinion. And then what we see from their opinions, the data, and the research that we find, it's a collaborative decision to find the best spot for it to see. So do you happen to recall if you have one coming to the Palm Beach County area anytime soon? So West Not Palm yet. Beach? No. Not Shoot. Yet, but um, we do have, actually, I guess it's our first, I wouldn't even say semi-absentee because they, they're very much involved there. Um, but our group in Florida, um, they're developing Orlando and Tampa and, um, they have interest in West Palm beach. So hopefully it will be soon. That would be fantastic. (laughs) Really, really great partners in, um, Florida who have a very large team, lots of restaurant experience, know how to build the team. So they're planning on developing, uh, most of Florida. Awesome. All right, Brie. On a last note, I am going to go back to how our discussion originally started. And that is, what would you say to an individual that is considering franchise investment? Let's say um, it's somebody that's been in the corporate world, you know, they're at a point in their life where they want to make a change and they would love to do that through franchise investment but fear sets in and they're at that final stage of the process. 
What advice could you give an individual like that? I would say for them to choose something that they are utmost passionate about, um, because that's when it, that's what's going to give them the motivation every single day. If I wasn't a diehard, obsessive, toasty fan, I would have like crumbled through the pandemic. But I love the brand. I'm so passionate about it, and there's nothing on my mind to not make it work. Um, that you know, that's what kept me motivated through the tough times. And at the end of the day, people, the franchise owners, you're a business owner, you're running your own business, you're getting the playbook from someone on how to do it. But if you don't have the passion behind it, you're going to get burnout, out or you might realize down the line, it's just not for you. And you don't get excited about it anymore. And I think that's really how businesses crumble. So really choosing something that they're passionate about. That would be my greatest advice. I love it. Well, I admire you. I wish I would have been as wise as you are at the age of, I think now 29 years old. So (laughs) So congratulations again, Brie, on all of your success. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so fun to watch this brand grow. And I know it's going to continue to be a huge success. So thank you for joining us today. If anybody would like to learn more about Toastique, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at Stacy at FusionFranchising.com. Thanks and have a great day.